Thank you for listening to Desert Spring United Methodist Sunday Sermon. We're glad you found us and that you chose to be part of our church. Online listeners, you are a significant part of our church community, and we're grateful you're with us. We hope you enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. If you would like to engage with our staff, we can be found on Facebook, Vimeo, and Instagram. Or call us at 702-256-5933. So today, Pastor Tim at the Northwest Campus and I, we're starting a new series of sermons entitled, When Christians Get It Wrong. The title comes from a book written by Reverend Adam Hamilton of Church of the Resurrection. And his research was quite helpful to us as we kind of planned out this series of sermons. In his research, um, among young adults in our country, he learned a couple of things. One of the things that he learned is that there's a lot of young adults in our country who know something about Jesus and know that he stands for love. But he also learned that there's a whole lot of young adults in our country who have issues with Christians and issues with the church. When pressed as to why the issues, the majority of them say that Christians are judgmental and hypocritical. And then, push some more, they give their evidence. How it is that we handle universal truth claims and our relationship with other religions. We're talking about that next week. How it is that we talk about natural disasters and pain and suffering in this world. We're talking about that the week after. We're going to end this four-part series of sermons about with talking about when Christians get it right. But two other things that they point to that are of particular concern to them, one of them is how Christians are dealing with matters around human sexuality and also their perception of Christians being anti-science. Those two we're going to talk about in another series of sermons that's coming up that we're going to launch right after Easter as we're talking about how to understand the Bible. But today I want to begin simply by talking about that first statement of their perception of Christians being judgmental. And with that, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the time of Jesus, Pharisees had a responsibility in the synagogues. They were highly trained, very educated on the law of Moses, the 609 laws that are a part of what we call our Old Testament. They were also educated in the Midrash, which is commentary written by scholars over time about the 609 laws of Moses. So they're well trained and educated in those things, and their job was to interpret the law for people. People would come to them and ask questions. So let's just say, for instance, that you are a faithful Jew 2,000 years ago, and you have a question about what you can or cannot do on the Sabbath. So you go to a Pharisee. The Pharisee tells you the, mo the law of Moses and then interprets it for your specific situation. People would come to Pharisees asking all kinds of different questions. Maybe they wanted to know how much interest they could charge a friend to whom they were loaning money. 
Or maybe they wanted to know if what had happened in their relationship qualified for them to get a divorce. People would come to Pharisees with all kinds of questions, and the Pharisees would quote the law of Moses and then interpret it specific to their situation. There were a lot of good, God-loving Pharisees in the time of Jesus. Some of them became Christians, Nicodemus, for instance. But given the weight of their responsibility, it's pretty easy to see that Pharisees also could face significant temptation. I mean, think about it. If you're telling people how they ought to live, it can become pretty tempting to kind of think of yourself more highly than you ought. I mean, I'm the one who gets to tell you how to live your life. The sin is spiritual arrogance, being judgmental, telling people how they ought to live their lives. And there were some Pharisees in the time of Jesus that had fallen into this sin of spiritual arrogance. They were judgmental people. Now, Jesus taught, you know, judge not lest you be judged. The judgment you give is a judgment you will receive. And so when you read through the New Testament, Jesus' words to these particular Pharisees were often very harsh, condemning them for the way they passed judgment on others, how they'd forgotten their calling to help usher people into the faith and help them to live faithfully. And instead, they were setting up roadblocks that kept people from coming to the faith. Jesus had harsh words to say about this group of Pharisees. Now, an example of what I'm talking about comes from the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter. There's a, a blind man who Jesus heals. And of course, healing someone who is blind, well, word gets around about that. People want to know what has happened. And pretty soon the blind man found himself standing in front of a group of Pharisees. He tells them the whole amazing story of this miraculous thing that Jesus had done. And as soon as he finished telling them that, do you know what they said? They said, see, that's what they said. See, we told you he was up to no good. We told you he was up to no good. The law of Moses says, keep the Sabbath holy. He did this on the Sabbath. It's our job to interpret the, the law of Moses. And so we've interpreted it. What he did is a sin. He's a bad guy. We told you he was up to no good. That's what they said. Now, talk about a roadblock. I mean, this guy had just been healed. And he couldn't help himself. He just kept praising God. And people wanted to hear about the story, of course, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd want to hear about somebody being miraculously healed in that kind of way. They wanted to know. It was as if the path of faith was just set right before them. All they had to do was put one foot in front of the other. All they had to do was believe. But no, the Pharisees step in and they throw a roadblock right in front of them. That guy is a sinner. Have nothing to do with him, they said. Now, how could they think that? How could they think that Jesus healing somebody was a bad thing to do? Well, 
However complicated that question might be, we know that part of the answer has to do with the condition of the heart. Condition of the heart. I mean, these folks, they, they valued power more than they valued their people. They valued their opinions more than they valued their people. They valued their authority more than they valued their people. They loved their position in life more than they loved God or faithfulness. We understand how that happens. I mean, we can understand that. The reality is there's a little Pharisee in us all. Just a little. Just a little. It shows up every now and then. Just a little. I mean, there are times where we can become a bit judgmental. We know that. There might even be times where we value our opinion more than we value people with an opposing opinion. There may be times where we love what our lives are about more than we love other people's lives. I mean, there's a little Pharisee that shows up in us and people are watching. They see roadblocks get set that keep people from coming to the faith. Let's pause for a moment and turn our attention to the reading of Scripture from the Gospel of Matthew. First from the Gospel of Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses one through five. Jesus says, do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take that speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. And now from Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 3 and 23 through 26, this is a whole chapter of Jesus. It's called uh, kind of the woe chapter. He's giving woe to the scribes and the Pharisees. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it, but do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel." Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside may become clean. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So a little over 10 years ago, the Barner Group did some research on young adults and Christianity, and they found that young adults were leaving the church in unprecedented numbers. 
some 40% of young adults who'd grown up in the church were reporting that they had left the church. And 20% of those said they were now atheists or agnostics. When asked why, 92% of the young adults polled said it was because Christians are judgmental. 92% of young adults polled said Christians are judgmental. Now, it doesn't help any that we as Christians have a history of moments in time where we've gotten things wrong at the expense of other people. We don't have to go too far back in history to see those times when we've gotten it wrong, when we've been judgmental and hurt people. It hasn't been that long ago since white folks demonstrate, demonstrated cruelty toward black Christians. And black Christians would be barred from entering into white Christians' churches. It was just a little over two decades ago when two African-American bishops in the United Methodist Church on Easter Sunday visiting down in the south tried to enter into a church and were barred from entering by the ushers who told them they should go down the street to the black church just a couple of decades ago. I mean, we know that we've had times where we have gotten it wrong been judgmental and brought about hurt and pain in people's lives. It hasn't been that long ago that women were treated as second-class citizens and were barred from having particular leadership responsibilities in roles in the life of the church. Some churches refuse to even allow women to sit down in the sanctuary. And to this day, to this day, there are churches that prohibit women from carrying out certain leadership responsibilities in the life of the church. We have a history of being judgmental and getting things wrong. These two examples that I just gave you come about from the misuse of Scripture in order to justify prejudice. And young folks today are telling us that they see the church doing it again. And it's hurting people that they know and people that they love. And so they want nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with the church. Now, I need to pause for a moment because I don't want you to, to get this wrong or under, misunderstand me. I am not saying that we should change our morality in order to make ourselves feel better. I'm not suggesting that we should change what it is that we believe. We should compromise our morality in order to be more popular, to be more liked by people across our culture. I am not saying that we should water down our faith and turn it into milk toast. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that there are young adults who know about Jesus and know that he represents love, who are telling us that they are hitting roadblocks when it comes to trying to enter the Christian church. And when we stop and think about it, well, we we can understand why that is. I mean, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says, Judge not lest you be judged. The judgment you give is the judgment you will receive. Why do you point out the speck in your sister or brother's eye when you got a log in your own? He said. And he said those words knowing that there would be some point of time in our life when we would need to hear those words. 
And young adults are telling us, this is that point in time. We need to hear those words. Now, I know, I know the the narrative that seems to be echoing across our country right now from a, a segment of the Christian faith that is loud and outspoken, this narrative that is echoing across our country right now, full of judgmentalism, harsh words spoken about people. I know that. We hear that. We hear it all the time. I heard it from a kid that I grew up with. His name was Craig. He became a United Methodist pastor. Before he left the denomination, and he did leave, I was his boss as a district superintendent, and he stood up in front of his congregation and he told them that I was not a Christian because I did not believe exactly what he believed. I mean, I hear the, the narrative that echoes across our country today, and so do you, and it's filled with divisiveness and hate, but that's not the only narrative of the Christian church. I don't think it's the narrative that Jesus was speaking when he said, don't judge people. Instead, love them. Love them. Desert Spring is a remarkable church. It's a remarkable church. You see a small portion of the congregation here, but if we were all together in one room, it would just be amazing to see. We got people of every size and shape and color We got people who are gay and straight. We got people who come from different places of origin, who have different cultures. We've got people who have different opinions about life, who have very different politics. We got people who are young, little babies. We got old folks, 100-year-olds. We have this incredible diversity of people. How can it be that as a church, we could hold that together? I mean, if you just look around this room, how could it be that we could hold that together as one community, as one body in a world filled with such divisiveness and hatred as ours? How could it be? The answer is simple and it's complicated. It's simple because it can really be Understood with, with one word, with just one word, love. We dare to believe that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, that love will never end. It's just that simple. But it's also that complicated. Because love is messy business. It is messy. Because love requires that we value people more than we value those things that are different about us. Love requires that we value the people who are around us more than we value any of those things that are different about us. It requires that we, we love people more than we love those things that are uniquely different about our lives. It requires that I love you more than I love my hobbies. It requires, you, requires me to love you more than I love my opinions. And I have opinions. I love my opinions. 
I savor my opinions, but it requires that I love you more than I love my opinions. It requires that I love you more than I love my diet. Although, to be honest, I don't really love my diet that much. But it requires that I love you more than those things that make me different. And that's, and that's messy business. It's not easy. And we're not perfect. We don't always get it right. I mean, there is a little Pharisee in us all. And so sometimes we lose track. We lose our way a little bit. There may be moments in time where we love our opinions more than we love the people who, with, with differing opinions. And there may be those moments in time where we value what our lives are about more than we value somebody else's life. And we can get kind of lost that way. And when we do, it's all the more important that we have each other. Because together, we can remind each other of what is most important in this life. What is most important in this life. I mean, Jesus, he summarized all of the laws of Moses. All 609 laws that tell you what you can do, what you cannot do, how you're supposed to think and believe. He summarized all of those laws of Moses simply by saying, love God, love each other as you love yourself. If you do that... You're going to get it right. I think about Jesus, about his life, and the people that he encountered along his way, and just how different the people were that he encountered on his journeys. The Syrophoenician woman, she was different from him. The Samaritan woman at the well, she was different from him. Zacchaeus. He was really, really different from Jesus. That group of Pharisees who were judgmental, they were very, very different from Jesus. And what was his response to those differences? To hang on a cross and die for them and for us out of love. Out of love. And it's this love, this kind of love that holds us together in the midst of all the ways that we are different. It holds us together as one. And I can't help but think, can't help but think that if love were more important to us than the ways we are different, young adults today would look upon us and would say, how can this be in a world like this that people so different from one another could love each other so deeply? May it be so among us. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for your love for us, for each and every one of us, the unique human beings that we are, and all that that means, all that, it, that we are made up of, and you love us right here and right now for who we are. And we thank you. We pray, oh God, that you'll help us to follow our Lord and Savior's lead, to love others, to value others more than we value our opinions, those things that separate. 
to love others with a Christ-like love, that the world will know, will hear a narrative, a narrative that is not judgmental, but is open and welcoming a place to call home. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Desert Spring United Methodist Church. New sermons are posted weekly. Follow us to get updates and news from your church.